Um, as we all know, and as we've continued working through Hosea, there's a lot going on. We could talk about a lot of things this morning, um, and it, all of it would be good for us. Um, but I'm really going to focus on chapter 11. That might be a bit of a relief <laughs> to some of you. Um, and like I said, I love Grace's commitment to God's word, especially when it comes to the holiness of God. Um, I think a lot of churches these days skip over that part pretty quickly, and I don't think we do. So when the Lord kept bringing back to Hosea 11, I was like, well, I don't want to skip who you are and your holiness and how you hate sin. And so we're not going to totally skip it, but we are really going to camp out on who God the Father is. Um, so let us, let's open up to chapter 11. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I am going to read the majority of it. So if you want to follow along, that might be helpful. So God's word says, starting in verse 1 of chapter 11. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws, and I bent down to them and fed them. They shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria shall be their king, because they have refused to return to me. The sword shall rage against their cities, consume the bars of their, gate, bars of their gates, and devour them because of their own counsels. My people are bent on turning away from me, and though they call out to the Most High, he shall not raise them up at all. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. They shall go after the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children shall come, trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria, and I will return them to their homes, declares the Lord. Let's pray before we dive in. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for even the book of Hosea and the way it's written. Lord, many of us don't naturally understand how these words um, are to be interpreted, but Lord, we're thankful for your spirit who helps us understand. We trust in that your word does not come back void and that it is good for us. Father, I pray today as we talk more about your word, Lord, would you be with us? Would your spirit move in here? Would you be um, working in us in each of the hearts in this room? Lord, if there's any untruth that I might speak this morning, Lord, would, you, would it fall on deaf ears? But Father, any truth that does come out of my mouth, I recognize that it comes from you alone. Father, we pray for all these things in your son's name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to talk about two major themes, and they'll look familiar because y'all did them in your cross-references. We're going to talk about, one, Israel's sin and the consequences for their sin, and then we're going to talk about God the Father, um, and that's really where we're going to spend most of our time. So first, Israel's continual turning away from God. In verses 1 and 2, we see this clearly. We're going to read that again. It says, when Israel was a child, I, talking about God the Father, loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to Baals and burning offerings to idols. In this week's study, we wrote out where we saw Israel's sin in these four chapters and even the corresponding consequences. Uh, we read things like 
rebelling against God's law, forgetting who made them, trusting in their own strength and valor, acting promiscuously, increased sinning on the basis of economic prosperity, choosing wickedness and injustice, lying, idol worship, refusal to repent, the list goes on and on. And this isn't new news to us. We all know that. We um, have been reading about this for the majority of Hosea. We read a lot about it in Judges. Um, And even though it's not new news, Israel's sin and turning away, it shouldn't or it doesn't become less applicable to us today. I keep coming back to these words about Israel's sin, and I keep seeing my sinful flesh clearer and clearer. My heart breaks over the reality that I chase after my own idols that I know won't fulfill me. Instead of looking at, wow, look what God has done in my life, I say, wow, look what I've done for myself. I'm even afraid now as I stand before all of you and confess my sin and my my shameful motives. Because what if y'all think that I'm a sinner? The love of self and pride runs deep in me. It makes way for all types of sin in my life. And I see this in the Israelites too. These are people who had seen God's love for them. They had seen him save them. He'd seen him save them and bring them out of captivity. Now, what can be even harder than sitting in your sin when reading about the Israelite sin is reading about their consequences. Um, So what do we see about the consequences in chapter 11? 5 and 7 read like this. Or 5 through 7. They shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria shall be their king, because they refuse to return to me. The sword shall rage against their cities consume the bars of their gates, and devour them because of their own counsels. My people are bent on turning away from me, and though they call out to the Most High, he shall not raise them up at all. It's as if God is saying, enough is enough. You want Assyria to be your king? Have at it. He will be your ruler, and you will be their captive. And don't we see that in our own lives? Um, One way I see it in just creating idols in my own life an idol that I face, I think, every single day is just the idol of people-pleasing, the idol of wanting people's affirmation. Um, this may seem small or insignificant in the grand scheme of sinning, but it just makes way for so much more sin. Um, I feel as though I must please all those around me because then y'all will look at me like I'm a good Christian. I forget who I'm ultimately called to please and settle for man's praise instead. I get stuck in the cycle, and it's literally slavery. Slavery to what other people think of me. And guess what? Number one, people don't always have kind things to say. Number two, maybe even worse, when you're really wanting this, they don't necessarily always think about me or say anything about me. Which, when you're finding your satisfaction in that, is a really puts you in a dark place. <laughs> um, like I said, on the surface, it doesn't seem that serious. But just like the Israelites, I've forgotten my maker, the one I'm ultimately in service to, and I've chased after other people's affirmations. And the result is slavery. Slavery to, other, slavery to other people's opinions of me, which looks like constant anxiousness and worry over where I stand with those around me. It truly is slavery to my own sin. And what I find interesting about Hosea um, is that it points out that consequences aren't just for the unbeliever. There are consequences for the unbeliever, um, and that is separation from God eternally. That is ultimate For the unbeliever, our consequences are not ultimate in that way. However, I think that we can forget oftentimes because we know that ultimately we are not going to be separated from God. And so we forget that in God's loving kindness, he does discipline us, just as we see in the verses from Hosea. 
Like a father who loves his children dearly, he disciplines them when they are walking far from him. More on that in just a moment. Which brings me to the second theme I really want to talk about and where I really feel like the Lord, even over the past six months of knowing that this was going to be what I talked about, he kept bringing me back to. Um, And we're going to talk about God the Father. And part of that, I think, is I have a really hard time believing that he really is a father to me and not just a holy king. So Hosea 11 gives, gives us a unique glimpse into God's character as a father. It's this depiction in human terms that I keep coming back to. It feels like absolute beauty amidst the sin of the Israelites, amidst my sin. After sitting in my sin in my flesh, wrestling with who I really am, God starts to speak of his deep love for his people. I want to look at this in two parts. One, in his tender training up of his children, but then also in his compassion and mercy. So first, let's look at his tender training up. To do that, let's look at verses 3 and 4. It says, Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws, and I bent down and fed them. Just sit with that even for a moment. This holy king of heaven and earth bends down to his children and feeds them. Just as a father raises up their son or daughter, God tenderly raises his children and loves them. Being newly married, I don't know the feeling of being a parent to a child, but I did have the immense privilege of having a father that did love me so dearly um, and is an example of our heavenly father. So with that, I want to give a quick um, example of sorts to help us understand this love of the Lord in a fatherly way. So when I was 16, I'd just gotten my license. Um, We don't live far from here. I went to school at Houston, and as always, I was running late. It's something I still am working through today, Um, but I was leaving the Houston middle speed zone, and then there's like a little gap where you can get back up to 40 for a second, and then you get to go back down to 25 or whatever it is. Naturally, because I was running late, I accelerated too quickly out of the speed zone and got my first ticket, and y'all, I was mortified. (laughs) Um, I couldn't believe what I had done, and I was embarrassed that I had been careless and had let me being late lead up to this. Um, But what was looming before me is that I had to call Pat Skulls and tell him (laughs) what I had done. And in my head, I'm like going through all these ways, like maybe I could keep it from him, maybe I can just pay the ticket and he won't know. Um, But I had to tell him. Um, And as I said, he's a wonderful dad, so thankful for him. He loves the Lord and loves us well. But I also have a fear of him and a fear of his discipline. I think that that's fair. Um, so naturally, I was afraid to tell him the news. He answered the call, call immediately. I'm immediately just sobbing and telling him what happened. And he met me with such tenderness and grace. I can still hear his tone 11 years later when he told me it would be okay to have a good day at school and we would deal with it later. I remember being shocked at the way he responded. I was fully ready to receive punishment for what I had done and get a stern talking to on the phone at 7 a.m. It was probably like 6.45, because back then we started at 7 a.m., which is crazy. Um, But instead, he put me at ease so I could go into school and go about my day. He even went to my first offenders court meeting. I believe my mom was there as well, um, to help me figure out how I could get out of this ticket. I had broken the law, and I had broken my parents' rules to obey the law, and I was met with grace. I had gotten what I did not deserve. Now, that is a lovely and sweet story, but it does not stop there. (laughs) 
because it wasn't quite the same experience when I got my second and third ticket <laughs> for speeding. <laughs> um, so I did get two more. I got one more in high school for speeding, and then I got a third one um, my freshman year of college going to school. All for speeding. All probably because I was running late. Um, so like I said, there was not the same exact response. While my dad was still gracious and helped me figure out what to do, there was more a sense of frustration and anger from not learning from the last time. And rightly so. I had messed up. I had been shown grace. I had been provided a way of moving forward. And yet I had just come back to the same situation that I would gotten myself in. And while there was frustration and anger this time, my dad didn't just stop loving me. It was obvious in the way he continued to care for me. Even though it looked different this time, he was teaching me to be responsible for my actions and that consequences are a part of life. I give that example not as a perfect one. All humans are imperfect and all human examples um, of who God is fall short. However, I do believe it's a picture of how God tenderly deals with his children. He is patient with them. He is long-suffering with them as they continue in their sin. And he brings them back to him when they wandered away, even when it's painful at times. He is faithful. We see this clearly in Hosea in the way that they suffer consequences for what they've done, but then he brings them home. As I've sat with Hosea 11, I've asked myself a lot, do I really know and view God in that way? Do I believe that when I sin, I know that I can come to him humbly and tell him about it and confess that to him? Do I trust that he'll meet me with grace and restore me? Do I trust that his discipline when I've been walking far from him is good for me? Do I believe that God is tenderly caring for me and maturing me in him? So next we're going to look at the compassion and mercy of God, shown clearly in verses 7 through 9. They read like this. My people are bent on turning away from me, and though they call out to the Most High, he shall not raise them up at all. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. These verses show us God in a very human sense. Honestly, it rattles me a bit to think of God calling out for his children in this way. We're sinners, after all. How can he be expressing his love in this way for us? I have to think that this sentiment will become even more real when I have my own children, Lord willing, knowing that they can break all the rules and turn from you, and yet your love does not diminish. In the same way, God's, God sees our sin. He hates our sin. He hates when we continue to turn away from him. He knows that it's harmful to us, and he is compassionate towards us. Not because we deserve compassion, but because he loves us as his children. He is our father. And just as an earthly father's heart aches when his children turn away from him, God the Father, God the father aches when his people sin against him. This moves him to crying out and asking how he could possibly give up his children. He expresses his compassion and mercy. So we're reading this book, Gentle and Lowly. I don't know if you've read it, but it's about Jesus' heart and how it is primarily gentle and lowly. We're reading it as a staff um, right now. Um, and I want to share a quote with you because there's a whole chapter actually dedicated to Hosea 11. Um, 
but this is talking about God's heart when it comes to our sin. It says, It is in consideration of his people's sins that God's heart goes out to them in compassion. He simply cannot give them up. Nothing could cause him to abandon them. They are his. I know this is hard for me to believe. I don't know about you. How can a holy and perfect God have compassion towards his sinful people like me? The answer is in the text. I am God and not man, the holy one in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. While this chapter gives beautiful pictures of God the Father in human terms, they're just a glimpse. And I'm not naive to the fact that not everyone has a beautiful example of a heavenly or an earthly father as a heavenly father. But there's good news in this. God the Father is far more loving and tender towards me than any for earthly father could be. God the Father is far more interested in my training and growing in him than any earthly father is. And despite my consistent unfaithfulness and turning away, God the Father continues to love me tenderly with compassion. He is committed to keeping me until the end. So this brings me back to my very last thing before we close. How does this holy God who has compassion on his sinful children reconcile this sin that he rightly hates so much? It's an answer we're all familiar with, but we must not make light of it or diminish it. God the Father reconciles his children to himself by sending his son to a foreign land to be tempted in every way without sin, <clears throat> to die on a cross, and to, be ra- to raise again. This son makes way for the father's children to be reunited to him. Because of Christ's work on the cross, we can know for certain that when we face him in judgment one day, we will be called righteous. We will be called his daughter. And he will rejoice that we are home. So I close with these two things, um, and I urge you to consider them in your own heart and in your own life. As sinners, we need to be constantly reminded of the gospel. In Hosea, we see several calls to turn back to the Lord in repentance. But we must know this gospel to turn back to him. We must remember that as believers in this gospel, we have a Father who is for us and will never abandon us. This truth matters for us every day. And then secondly, um, and I feel even silly saying this to a group of women who are studying the Bible together, but the Lord has laid it on my heart too, If you're not trusting in this um, Savior, if you're not trusting in Christ's work on the cross as your salvation, these beautiful truths of who God the Father is, they are not for you. God is a tender and compassionate Father to his children, but only through the blood of Christ. If that's not where you're placing your hope, God has nothing but wrath and judgment. It is very clear from the readings in Hosea so far what God thinks about sin and how he hates it. So I close with this, an encouragement to all to evaluate your heart. Who are you ultimately resting in? Yourself? Your idols? Your wealth? The list could go on. Or do you find your security in God, the Father, who saved you from your own wickedness and calls you daughter? If you are trusting in him, let us every day return to him. Let us walk in repentance. Let us rest in who he is and what he has done for us. Let us go to him in confession, knowing that he is ready to forgive and restore. If that's not you, turn to God for the first time. Come to him in repentance. Trust that Christ's work on the cross is enough to bring you into a right relationship with him. Let's pray together.
Father, I do confess that as I pray to you every day and call you Father, most days I don't believe it's true. I don't believe that you really do look at me as your daughter. But Father, I thank you for your word and how it corrects our thinking and corrects our um, just preconceived notions about who you are. Father, I thank you for um, Bible study in a way, a place where we can come and work through your text together. Father, I pray as we move on in our day that we would remember that we are always with you. Would you keep our minds on things above? And would you encourage us um, in knowing that we are eternally secure in your love for us? Father, I pray for all these things in your son's name. Amen.